on page 79. What is, a, what is broken will be restored. Brokenness and pain. Unfortunately, both are universal in their experiences, in our experiences as human beings. We may have been hurt by a love that ended prematurely, abandonment and isolation, by chronic illness or death, or by circumstances we bring on ourselves through our own sin and failure. But we all know that pain, what pain feels like. It feels like something has been broken inside us. It feels like we are broken. Like clay jars, we're fragile. We can be easily broken, but we don't have to remain broken vessels. We're never beyond the healing and redeeming power of God. In the face of failure, God responds with restoration. In spite of our shortcomings, God will work in and through us. In the midst of our circumstances, God will help us endure. Yet, God doesn't stop there. He uses us to speak into the lives of other broken vessels. He uses our experiences with, with his grace and power to comfort others. He desires to use us to help our neighbors. And loved ones encounter the God who brings hope and restoration. Now we have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary, extraordinary power may be from God and not from us, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We are broken vessels, but this great treasure, the good news of Jesus Christ, shines through our brokenness. And that's a truth worth celebrating. Amen? All right. With that, we're going to go into the first question on page 81. When have you really enjoyed making a mess? Anybody could remember that experience? When have you, oh, it's his breath. Cleaning out a closet. Okay. I love cleaning it out, but it makes a big mess outside of the mm -hmm. actual area, and I have to okay. get rid of and take care of all that, but it really feels good. <laughs> okay. Gotta think about that for now. Morning. 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 Okay. Thanks, Michelle. Um, anybody else? When have you really enjoyed making a mess? When I didn't have to clean it up. That's when you took That's kind of selfish. The thing is, somebody else got to clean up the mess, huh? All right. Usually, it's it's uh, when you're making room for improvement, right? Or when yes. it's making room for changes, right? So you really enjoy doing that because you know what's going to come afterwards. Okay, uh, let's look at uh, Bible Meets Life on page 82. Someone read that, please. Making a mess in the kitchen is one thing. Making a mess of life is quite another. I can clean the kitchen to the point you'd never know I was in there. 
But when I make a mess of my life, I can't just wipe away the evidence or the consequences. Have you ever found yourself at rock bottom? It may have been because of an inappropriate relationship, a string of lies, or a temptation or habit that seemed to gradually take over everything in life. At that moment, you stand at a crossroad. Do you continue down the road you're on, continuing to repeat the mistakes because the pain of changing seems greater than the pain of remaining the same? Or do you look to Jesus for a way out? Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples, knew what it meant to mess up. He failed in a big way. But Peter's story also offers us encouragement and points us to the way out, a fresh start in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay, so what's the point of our lesson today? We fail, fail. Jesus, Jesus restores. Okay, we always fail, don't we? Yeah. But it's good to know that there's someone who's going to clean up the mess, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Isn't it amazing how you can always hit the reset button? Like so. I mean, you can't do that with anything else except, you know, you actually ask him if it reset. Mm -hmm. And I don't think he'd give you another challenge. God's got a reset button. <laughs> and this always works. That's right. It always works. Okay, you can count on that. Okay, let's read the first passage we have uh, on page 83. Uh, that's uh, John 18, 15 to 18, and verses 25 to 27. Simon Peter was following Jesus, as was another disciple. That disciple was an acquaintance of the high priest. So he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter remained standing outside by the door. So the other disciple, the one known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the girl who was the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl, who was the, door, who was the doorkeeper, said to Peter, You are one of this man's disciples too, are you? I am not, he said. Now the servants and the officials had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. They were standing there warming themselves and Peter was standing with them, warming himself. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They said to him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose heir Peter had cut off, said, didn't I see you with him in the garden? Peter denied it again. Immediately a rooster crowed. Peter had been through a lot on this particular evening. The Last Supper, failing Jesus by falling asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane, witnessing Judas' betrayal, fighting the temple guards, and watching Jesus allow himself to be arrested and taken away. None of these servants excuse Peter's denials, but they do help us recognize that he was surely exhausted and confused. His whole world had been turned upside down. Still, after all the disciples initially ran away from Jesus' arrest. See Matthew 26 and 25. Let's stop right there and look at that verse. Uh, Matthew 26, 55. Someone could turn to that and read it, please. Might as well look at the next one, too. Matthew 26, 55. Anybody have it? 
Well, let me read it. Then Jesus said to the crowd, Am I someone, some dangerous revolutionary that you come to me with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there teaching every day. Okay, go ahead, continue to read. Peter at least made an effort to get near enough to see what and hear what was going on, as long as he could not, as long as he could do it undetected. The other disciple, who is generally acknowledged to be John, was able to follow Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. Peter stayed outside. Being neither a slave nor a member of the temple police, he must have stood out like a sore thumb. Not surprisingly, people immediately began connecting connecting in with Jesus' followers. And that's when the denial started. Okay, next page. The Gospel of Luke adds another detail after the rooster's famous crow. Then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he ran outside and wept bitterly. Luke 22, 61-62. Many times we tend to see the men and women in Scripture as bigger than life. Their encounters with God and their victories seem so far beyond what we experience today. We may view their failures as equally above our own and more catastrophic. Consequently, we might be tempted to say, I would never fail Jesus like that. In fact, that's just what Peter said earlier that night. When Jesus shared one last meal with his disciples, he predicted Judas' betrayal. When Peter declared that he would lay down his life for Jesus, the law predicted that he would also that he also would betray him. See John 13, 37 to 38. Okay, let's look at those verses. John 13, 37 to 38. Peter's, Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. <laughs> this no doubt came as a shock to Peter. After all, he alone had walked on the water with Jesus, and he was the first of the disciples to confess, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, Matthew 16 and 16. Thus, Peter responded like many of us surely would, I will never deny you. Matthew 26, 35. Maybe we're not so different from Peter after all. We've all been in circumstances where we gave in to fear or succumb to the crowd. We may not have denied Jesus as overtly as Peter did, but we've had our own moments when we tried to hide our relationship with him. We've denied him through our words and our actions. And whenever we choose to sin, we deny once again the one we say is Lord over our lives. Somewhere along the way, our rooster crows and we're hit with the full force of our denial. When that happens to you, not if, but when, what do you do? What happens after you fail? Do you write yourself off as a failure? Do you just try to get off with your life as if nothing happened? We'll see from the life of Peter that a far better option awaits. Okay, let's look at question number two. What emotions would you have experienced in Peter's situation? Traitor. Traitor, okay. 
Change. Change. Untrustworthy. Untrustworthy. What else? I feel like you let the person down. You let Jesus down too. Okay. So maybe disappointment in yourself. Anyone ever had experience where you had a, a very, very good friend, a close friend, and you did something that really let them down? How did it make you feel? Bad. Really bad, right? So you can imagine that's probably what Peter was going through. All right? Especially when he remembers what he said before. Me? I'll never deny you. Not me. <laughs> and now it happened. Jesus told him it would happen. Yeah. Look at the fourth paragraph here uh, on that page. Page 84. Maybe we're not so different from Peter after all. We've all been in circumstances where we gave in to fear or succumb to the crowd. We may not have denied Jesus as overtly as Peter did, but we have had our own moments when we tried to hide our relationship with him. I'm sure we've been there sometime, right? Yes. Question number three. What factors may cause us to shrink back from identifying with Christ? What factors? I had a problem with that one. Hmm? I had a problem with that one. You did? Yes. <laughs> Sometimes you might feel like people might ridicule you. Okay, ridicule. Okay. Fear. What do you think Peter was experiencing? All of the above. All of the above, right? Ridicule, fear. What did he say to the servant girl? What did she say? Yeah, you, no. you look like one of the servants. Aren't you one of them? I do not. What did he say? Not me. Not me. I don't even know the guy. That's right. Right? Shame. So we see fear. Shame. Uh, some of the factors that can cause us from identifying with Christ. What would people say about me? What would they think about me? Okay. Do you see that exercise on page 85? Sure I did. I know, I know. Sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Alright, let's look at that for a moment. How do you typically respond after failure or a big mistake? Check the statement for, or statements that apply or write out your own. Okay, when I fail, I get angry. Oh, yeah. Anybody? Yeah. Most of us do, right? How could I do it? You feel like you want to kick yourself. And you do. I become depressed. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, I don't let it bother me. <laughs> Some people are like that. Nothing phases them. You know, the sky could be falling in and there's oh, nothing happening. You know, everything is break. All hell is breaking loose all around them, and they're not even breaking a sweat. Okay, the next one. I tried to make sure no one saw what happened. <laughs> that was a quick answer. Yeah. <laughs> that ever happened in court, Michelle? Um, yes. no. No. People no. <laughs> would be there to know what happened. <laughs> okay. People <laughs> would know. Okay. 
I try to learn from what happens. Oh, yeah. 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 That's a good one, right? Mm-hmm. We always try to learn from our mistakes. And don't want to repeat them if you can. Don't want to repeat them. Mm-hmm. Okay, did anybody have any that's not on the list? Did you write I any share them? my experience hoping that it would help someone not to make the same mistake. Okay, very good. You share that experience. Boy, let me tell you what happened to me. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't ever make this mistake. You know, I was driving on Fort Charlotte one day and uh, I was going somewhere on, you know, top of the hill with the medical arts thing. Uh-huh. Uh, Sarah, and I just, I, I've, I've been there so many times and I just drove through the corner and uh, when I was coming back out, the police officer on the corner and he flagged me down. I stopped. And he says, um, you, you got to stop. I gotta, I've got to give you a ticket. This is a one-way street. What? <laughs> I, I never knew that street to be a one-way street. And so I pulled on the side and waited for judgment. <laughs> you know? And what was interesting, he was writing somebody else up. And when he finished, he looked at me and said, okay, your turn now. Come on. <laughs> oh my God. I said, that was not a good feeling. <laughs> All right? And so I, I started to tell everybody, you know that street up on the floor there? You have to go to it. There was a sign. But somebody knocked Knock it down. down. Oh. You know, that didn't matter to them. Yeah. You should know. You should know. Now you know. Uh-huh. All right. So it's good to learn from your mistakes and tell others about it. How has your relationship with Jesus helped you move from one failure in the past? Move on from failure in the past. Knowing that he is a forgiving Lord. Knowing that he is a... Forgiving. Forgiving... God. And okay. I pray that I know that he's not going to hold that against me once I ask him for forgiveness. He's not like a friend or family member who would be like, oh, yes, yeah, she had a He'll throw that into the deepest part of the sea. I'll remind myself maybe that I did this thing 10 years ago, but he's never going to say, but to show you remember when you did that yeah. thing. So I, I like okay. that. The way you like that? He, he doesn't get historical with you. you. Mm-hmm. He doesn't get a star. Right, like some people do. When you mess up, they say, 25 And learning the lessons from your bad choices. Learn the lessons from your bad choices. Okay, mm-hmm. those are Starius notes. Anybody else uh, did notes on that? They want to share? <laughs> So obedient. Yeah, learn from Sarah's obedience. Yes. She follows the instructions and does the work before yes. coming to class. Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's look at the last two paragraphs here on, on page uh, that's page eighty six. Eighty four. You didn't read Erwin Erwin Lutzer. Lutzer. Erwin Lutzer. Yeah, Erwin Lutzer has a good point there. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, what did he say? There is more grace in God's heart than there is sin in your hands. That's good to remember, right? Yes. That's reassuring, isn't it? Yes. More grace in God's heart than there is sin in your past. So whenever you have a tendency to dwell on your past, the sins and all your mistakes, just remember there's more grace in God's heart. Okay, uh, what are you saying? The last paragraphs, the last two paragraphs there. Yeah, we have denied him through our words and our actions. And whenever we choose to sin, we're denying once again the one we say is Lord of our lives. Somewhere along the way, a rooster crows and we are hit 
with the full force of our denial. When that happens to you, not if, but when, what do you do? So there's another, another if there. What do you do? What happens after you fall? Do you write yourself off as a failure? Do you trust? Do you just try to get on with your life as if nothing has happened? That's a good reminder of reality there for us. Okay, let's look at the other power passage we have. Uh, that's first that's John fifteen or John twenty one rather fifteen to nineteen. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, You know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know I love you. Shepherds, shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved, but he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Truly I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie, tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate that, to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. After saying this, he told him, follow me. Okay, uh, let's have someone read the paragraphs there beneath those verses. What he immediately stands out from this passage is three times Jesus, Jesus asked Peter the same question. Three times. That's the same number of times Peter betrayed Jesus on the night of his arrest. The very moment when his allegiance would have mattered most. What also stands out is that love is a key word in verses 15 to 19. Unfortunately, the deeper impact of this passage is lost to most modern readers because the English language has only one word for love. So, it seems like Jesus asked him, Peter the same question three times. However, if we look at the original Greek, which has multiple words for love, we unearth a deeper interaction. In the first two questions, Jesus used agapeo, the deep affectionate and cherishing type of love that God has for Jesus and that Jesus has for us. Interested, interestingly, Peter didn't respond with that same word for love. Instead, he used phileo. phileo, which refers to more of a brotherly, personal type of love. The second interaction followed the same pattern. Jesus asks, Simon, son of John, do you agapeo me? But Peter answered, you know that I phileo you. In the third interaction, however, Jesus switched to phileo, the same version of love Peter had, had been using, which meant Peter was able to respond in kind. What, why didn't Peter echo Jesus' type of love? Perhaps he was feeling too guilty from his betrayal and felt unworthy to use the higher form of love since he had not displayed it on the night of his denials. Mm -hmm. 
or perhaps Peter intentionally uses used the more personal version of love, phileo, because he wanted to show Jesus how deeply repentant he was. In either case, what matters most is that each time Jesus asked the question, he followed up with a commission, feed my lambs, shepherd my sheep, feed my sheep. Peter has a broken vessel. What? Oh, Peter was a broken vessel, but the past was forgiven, and Jesus desired for Peter to move forward in ministry. The beautiful thing about God is he doesn't simply offer forgiveness. He wants to restore, redeem, and renew our past, our hurts, and our failures. He takes the broken pieces of our lives and makes us whole. Marriages that seem beyond the point of repair can be renewed and the couple can experience a deeper love than ever before. Praise the Lord. God's <laughs> broken through divorce can experience a restoration through God's grace and faithfulness. People dried down by addictions can be renewed and move forward to live productive, Christ-honoring lives. I like how the Apostle Paul described this phenomenon. He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 4. Whatever, sorry. Whatever our past sins and failures, however we may have denied Christ, He forgives, He restores, and He chooses to work through us for His glory. Okay, so we see a couple of things that I was pointed out uh, in those verses. Uh, the final two paragraphs on page 87 uh, highlights the importance of restoration on God's part uh, in terms of his plan for broken people. God has a plan. Yes. And uh, as broken people, we can participate in that plan if we choose to do so. Notice, uh, he says, the paragraph says, I like how the Apostle Paul described this phenomenon. He comforts us in some of our affliction. All. Is that what it says? All. But then we sometimes we think he only comforts us in some. No. We? All. He comforts us in all. That's every single one of the afflictions we go through. So that we may do what? So that we may comfort those who are in any kind of affliction. So we see that our affliction serves as a benefit to those, to others, right? Because when God comforts us, we can truly go to another person and say, child, brother, sister, I know what you're going through. Now, some people say that, but they really don't know because they haven't been through it. And so God is saying that, what God is saying is you could be genuine in making that statement because I have comforted you in your affliction. The benefit is for others. When others go through affliction, they want you to come alongside them and say truly, but genuinely, child, I know what you're going through. Let me tell you what you can do. Let me tell you how I've gone through this, how I dealt with this. Okay, so he said, so that you may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction. Okay, so it doesn't necessarily have to be the kind of affliction that you went through. It could be some other kind of affliction. A lot of times, when things happen, uh, people hide, they're being embarrassed. Mm -hmm. I know in our same uh, 
program um, on Real Estate Fellowship, I shared concerning the situation in me. And after that, one of the members came out to me and said, I'm the same thing with his case tomorrow. Mm. And when I finished mm. talking to her, I see her stand up in bed already saying, one at and sharing, I thank God, I thank you. Amen. Yes. If we be free, and yes, people know what's going on, I always say, when you have your testimony, you only share the good God. Let people know you're ready, and the same thing they're going through, and what a blessing it be, and they are convincing me so thankful to me. They're free. So right, and that's contrary to the posture that a lot of people take, where they, they sit by themselves and they have their little big little pity party and they sing the song, Nobody Knows the Trouble I See. But nobody's going to know the trouble you see unless you share it. Right? Unless you tell them about it. And then they can identify with what you're going through. That's right. True. It releases a burden. It releases a burden. Okay. But then you feel like somebody might judge you. You're embarrassed, and then you might be judged by that person. Look at Staria. Um, yeah, you know, Staria. So, so, it's happening. Mm-hmm. Nah, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Some people are embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And talk about you. And talk about you, right? Uh, you become a source of gossip. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, our past failures, it says, our past sins and failures, however, might be, however, we might deny Christ, He forgives, He restores, and he chooses to work through us for his glory. So regardless of how embarrassing your experience may be, you share it with somebody else, and God gets the glory. Yes, and that's all it's all about. Question number five, final question. We need to do four. We need to do question number four? Who's question number four? When have you seen God bring restoration to a seemingly hopeless situation? Okay. Anybody had that experience? Yes. You were you were facing a situation the same hopeless. But God came through. Yes. Yeah. Anybody have that? Yes. Okay, Staria. Staria of everything, boy. Most recently I've seen God come through time and time again, but most recently when uh, both my niece and grandniece uh, had died mm-hmm. and the doctors had thought oh, everything had failed and God stepped in. Amen. Both are not doing very well. My niece is on the road to recovery and my grandniece, um, she is striving. Great. Fantastic. Anybody else? On one time I had this court case and the other female lawyer, she's very aggressive. I mean, I, I just, she had to be in tears to support <laughs> wow. And I, when I went to court, it's like, Lord, I can't do this. Only you could do this because this girl, I, I feel like I was going to have a nervous breakdown over this because mm. she talked to me so bad. And um, <laughs> when I was in court, I was just like floating above. Mm. And everything happened. And then we were successful. We won and we won costs and everything. And I was like, Lord, I had no idea how to do this case. Without you, so I mean, I had to give it to him to do, mm-hmm. and it was like I was just floating above everything was happening, mm-hmm. and I just Watch wasn't it. even in the room really. I, I felt like I was floating above, and I was like, "Wow, Lord, mm-hmm. um, you know, she didn't even have a case, but because she tried to, yeah. you know what I mean." And I'm very aggressive, mm-hmm. so 
But sometimes you have. You made too much. You know, you have somebody. Like our case, sometimes they'll try to attack you personally. Yeah, that's what they normally do. Yeah. In order to just like undermine you personally, and I was like, well, I had to give it up because I said, Lord, I can't do anything because I, I just, I don't know what to do, you know. And so I just gave it up to him completely, and then I was just not bring a ball. I just, I, I just, I didn't even know where the words were coming from. I just was hovering above, and the work was being done. I was like, wow, I, you know, but I had to release it completely to him and let him do it because it was like I had to, I didn't have any control over the situation. So, I mean, I, I share that with people a lot because I just feel like, Lord, you know what I mean? Um, I need you. I can't do this thing without you. Okay. So, okay. it was a hopeless situation. It, was, it wasn't hopeless, but it's just because I was personally attacked. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it wasn't even the law or nothing like that. It wasn't, it's just somebody attacking you personally mm -hmm. to try to, to attack you, you know, and... Yeah, so I mean, people can be quite nasty. Yeah. Oh yeah. So God said, said Michelle, stand back and watch the glory of the yes. Lord. Yes. Yeah, like, oh, you know what I mean? And it, it was so amazing to me that you know you. And then I, I'm like, wow, Lord, why would you even do that? You as another human being, why would you just attack somebody? And you, you're not even playing by the rules of the game at all. You're just like attacking somebody personally. And so I was like, wow, I can't do this. This is like a personal thing on me. It's nothing to do with the law or what the law says. The person don't even have a case. They don't have a case, right? She so didn't have a case at all. Yeah. But she's attacking me personally to undermine my me in order to try to, um, you know. Playing dirty. Uh, what do you call that? Below the belt. And it happens yeah. a lot. Sister Beth. When I was, uh, I, I did grow up in a pastor's family, and mm -hmm. so uh, I, it was a real blessing because I heard a lot of things uh, from my dad that God was doing that most people wouldn't have known, mm -hmm. and that's because he was involved with people. And um, he, uh, I remember a classic case of restoration that happened that really encouraged me in my younger years to be faithful to pray and see God's power and, and what he would do. And so Butch and Charles C. were married and Charles C. Uh, and Butch had three young little girls and she was coming to church and she was growing in her love and understanding of the word and uh, Butch had nothing to do with it. He was a policeman and uh, he, that just wasn't his thing, and he would make fun of my dad. His first name was Phil. And he goes, so, Charles, what did Philly have to say today? And he was always at her, you know, trying to tear her down and, and just opposing her trust in the Lord and her love for the Word. And, you know, that the Lord totally changed that man, and he used men who loved him to the Lord. Um, they invited him to play on the church ball team and they took him out for coffee and they did stuff with them and they played ball and they were really encouraging and that man came to know the Lord and they had a marriage like they never had before mm -hmm. because now they were both with the Lord. Amen. That was a beautiful um, encouragement to me when I was young. Mm -hmm. Great, great, great. God can do anything but fail. Yes. Okay. Question number five. Last question. How can you, your, how can our group be a safe place that helps others experience restoration? 
They are brother's keeper. We have and our, um, it's evident within the group because we're doing that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's already being done. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so that's something the group is already doing. Yes, but I, I would say this: the way why it is a safe place and what that actually looks fleshed out to be is we don't talk about each other. We talk to each other mm -hmm. and we pray for each other mm -hmm. or pray with one another. Mm -hmm. And there's a huge difference between us walking out of this room and talking about each other, which is just gossip. So mm -hmm. I appreciate that about all of you, that there's a true love expressed by a concern and prayer and we talk to each other and share. Amen. Every Sunday morning, I pray by Okay, again, what's the point of our lesson? We fail. Jesus restores. Jesus restores. Okay, we fail. Okay, let's see how we can live this out now. We flesh this out as we leave here and we go through the course of the week. Um, next page. Live it out. 88. 88. Page 88. We all fail as followers of Jesus, yet he restores. Consider these suggestions for living out that truth this week. Number one, remember. Look back to a period of your life marked by sin. Thank God for his forgiveness and consider the ways that he has brought restoration into your life. So this is time of reflection. Remember, go back in time and then memorize. Memorize Psalm 139, 23 to 30, 24. Pray this on a regular basis to keep short accounts between yourself and God. And when a, a circumstance or sin arises in your life for which you need to ask God's forgiveness, do so. Okay, so remember, memorize, and then write. Write a letter of forgiveness to someone who has hurt you. Whether or not you give this letter to the person, the writing process can help you express forgiveness and fully forgive that person just as Jesus has fully forgiven you. Okay, so that's three things we need to do this week as we go forth to make this lesson applicable in our lives. Remember, memorize, write. Yes, you messed up. But God's grace is so deep and his love is so wide that he will always restore you when you come to him in repentance. Your sin, your denials of Jesus, not the end of the road. Jesus offers a what? Fresh, fresh start. Everybody likes a fresh start, don't we? Oh, yes. Doesn't like a fresh start. Okay. That uh, brings us to the end of our lesson and right on time. Wow. <laughs>